The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. Up to the short side. Oh, it's But I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. Just call it. And Ring Rose comes through. Oh, brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! It's Grand Slam Monday, and we are extremely giddy Giddy-o. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. We're keep giddy. Going. We're giddy in the hard yard studio. I've channeled my inner anchorman. Uh, Ireland created some rugby history this weekend with Rory, when Rory Best won just the third Grand Slam in Ireland's history. Fourth, if we include the women, which we should. We were talking about this off air. Uh, what a way to do it. Paddy's Day in Twickenham. There are a lot of heroes. I'm joined by Kevin McLaughlin. Good morning. James Downey. Morning. Pat McCarry. Top of the morning. Top <laughs> and one of the unluckiest men, when the the unluckiest of the lucky men, Chris Farrell. He'll be joining us a little later on to give us uh, some man on the ground updates, um, and we will be joined in studio a little later by Rosanna Cooney, who'll be giving us the latest news on the trial currently going on in Belfast. But first, lads, that was a weekend. That was a weekend in London. Jimmy <laughs> It was a hell of a weekend in London wasn't yeah. it Jimmy why is your voice so deep <laughs> <laughs> I was working over there so <laughs> um, no I was over well it started off I suppose a bit of a synopsis of my weekend of uh, Friday night played the Legends game which was interesting um, bit of crack sore body still a few points after still scoring tries still scoring tries from five metres I'm going to say halfway <laughs> did you get onto the player mic at all did you no, 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 but I made a few smart comments to Tom May, <laughs> who was on it. <laughs> I let him know I was going to say a couple of other things, but I didn't actually do that because it wouldn't have been fair. But no, great, great day, wasn't it? Like, and then um, obviously the big day on Saturday, probably the coldest stadium yeah, I've been to in my entire life, but unbelievable. Jeez, you warmed up pretty quick at the end of that. Something else, wasn't it? Yeah, I just don't think we can like. Should, I know Jimmy's win was big on Friday, but uh, <laughs> I don't think we should get over quickly how big an occasion that was. Yeah. And I think because Ireland were so clinical <clears throat> and so professional about how they went about their business, and because I was sitting there watching it with unbelievable confidence, I think everyone else was. I think the first time I ever seen Joe smiled about twenty minutes to go, <laughs> the, the camera flashed to him and he had a little smirk on his face. I said the level of confidence and the players and the coaches they were feeding off each other was exceptional. And just because they were so clinical about and how they went about their business, I don't think we should get over how big an occasion it was and how incredible an achievement it was. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you look at that versus 2009, and was, I, I think it was a bigger, bigger performance and bigger occasion. The way they went to Twickenham with that level of professionalism and never looked like losing. You know, the, the last game against Wales, it was like an absolute nail-biter. It was great excitement yeah. and all that. But, like, this was a team who was going and there was no other result happening. They knew from minute one... From the very first few phases, it was never going to be a different result. And I think everyone yeah. had that feeling. I was like, I was watching my dad and mum and dad. I was looking at it going, this can't, <laughs> we should be nervous here. You know, this should be close. This yeah. should be tight. What's going wrong? I almost felt uncomfortable. And it's like, it's a mindset shift for an Irish team. And I think it had a feeling the way the All Blacks are. It's nice though, isn't it? It's so that, nice. That felt good. That try just before half time. That's yeah. the kind of thing the All Blacks do. You're yeah. hanging on, you're hanging on, you're hanging on, and then they score. Sevilla scores in the wing. I think Stockdale's like the new age, you know, an Irish Sevilla. The way he does that, he just can't stop scoring. No one can tackle him. 
it's so enjoyable. But it's at it's that so time enjoyable. as well, just before half time, where like we were saying, kick it out, kick it out. We get to half time, yeah. back yeah. in the sheds, and away we go yeah. again. And then bang, try and it's like, oh my god, we're just in complete control. Like it's such control, isn't it? I completely agree. Like the expectation that we have now is. I wouldn't say overly confident, but we're, we're confident. We're actually going in there going, we're in Twickenham, we're favourites, and I'm comfortable with mm. that. Well, before we used to play on the on the underdog so much, like, and I used to love being in the corner and coming yeah. out, and as you say, complete control. 20 minutes left, as they were running the ball from everywhere. They looked a different team now when Ford came on, but look, I was super, uh, like supremely confident in, uh, in the lads. Very comfortable. Yeah, but you know what? Going into the game, right, I think... You know, you're saying that you were confident. I wasn't that confident, but I think they were. Mm. I think the coaches were. I think the team were. I think they knew what they needed to do to get the business done. And I think it starts in the key positions. When Rory Best picks up the ball, throw a line out. You know, you're going to win it. When Connor Murray picks up the ball at the back of a rook, he always makes the right decision. Johnny Sexton makes the right decision every time he gets the ball in his hands. The core positions they just give confidence to the team. I think Connor Murray is just. He's a picture of composure. Yeah. I think he has composure to his teammates, the supporters, to the coaches. It's amazing to watch. And you could hear, like during the game, you could hear on the, the player or the referee mic, the English guys, they know Murray's the guy they want to get after most. You just hear, get Murray, Murray, go Murray. Yeah. You just hear Murray's name the whole time. And he's there. He's the guy who's keeping it calm. He's marshalling the guys around as well. And and they went after him a few times. Like Rob Shaw laid a shoulder into him a couple of times. And um, you could even see it. He was put to the deck a few times because mm-hmm. they were trying to keep him out of play. And then you have lads like Furlong and Levy stepping up and playing scrum half in the middle yeah. of it all. Like, but and then you see later in the game when England are under pressure with Wigglesworth uh, trying to. His box kicks are nowhere near what Murray's box kicks yeah. are. They're on the money all the time. And and as you said, like at the start. We did a piece for Sports Joe about it, and just in the first five minutes, Levy made a big carry, rammed into Cruz. You had Hartley got smashed back in a tackle, and then Ian Henderson absolutely flattened on Farrell at one stage. And you're just t- telling yourself, this is going to happen. And then, perfect box kick from Sexton, then as well. And Kearney did what he had to do. It was just like after six minutes, there was all of a sudden this sense that. Just we could be all right here, yeah. like, and 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 the lads just grew into the game as they went on, and so many big performances. And um, as I said, I thought like Levy, uh, I thought he that was probably the best game he's played so far, and absolutely a br- <coughs> brilliant player. Hmm. It is. It it's definitely Paddy's day being what it was, and you know it's a Six Nations day, and probably a few had. It, it's actually worth going back and watching that match again. Hmm. It's oh, 100%. it's extraordinary. What you're yeah. saying is absolutely true, Pat. That first few minutes, like, there's only one team in it. There is only one team in that game. And Ireland were just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's just, it's amazing to see a team go to Twickenham and do what they did. Because again, historical context is everything. It's the third time Ireland have ever beaten England and France away in the same Six Nations. And it's not supposed to be that straightforward. We talked last week, remember we talked last week, said, look, Ireland haven't played that perfect rugby yet. So that game was the closest to Ireland playing perfect rugby not perfect all beating the All Blacks perfect but they ticked an awful lot of boxes in that game Yeah, and just going back two weeks I, I want to point out something is they won the championship against Scotland two weeks ago <clears throat> there was barely a smile on anyone's face Like they, the job was not done as yeah. far as they were concerned and that's a sign of champions mm-hmm. they, they went into the Six Nations and they wouldn't say it externally but they wanted to win the Grand Slam they were saying one game at a time one game at a time and that's the way you have to go about it but Every one member of that leadership team within within Carton House and and the coaching team 
had eyes on Grand Slam and Grand Slam only. This was the opportunity to go and do it. They laid the foundations with that last minute win against France. And then from then on, they, were, they had eyes on Twickenham. They knew they had to get the three home wins. They did what they needed to do. They won the championship against Scotland. It would have been easy to go on a three-day bender after that. They put the heads down. They're immediately looking ahead to, to England and going to get the job done. I just think that's the sign of champions. Um, and I think you look at the way Scotland celebrated the Calcutta, Calcutta Cup, mm-hmm. that they didn't have eyes on going to Aviva to get a win, you know. And I think this team now, even the way they celebrate the Grand Slam, obviously they had a great time and they're celebrating, but they're thinking 2019 now. That's I true. That, that, that's why they cancelled the homecoming. It's cause <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. It's for bigger things. But, but like they're thinking we can go and do this now. Yeah. They've beaten, they've beaten New Zealand already. They've beaten England and Twickenham. And they're going to go to Australia. <clears throat> they're going to, I would imagine, give a few of the older guys a bit of a rest and build mm. that squad out a bit further. And they're thinking, we can go and do this. Like in right, Japan. Right, rightly so, though, as well. Yeah. We're number two in the world now. You know, we have to expect to win these games. And I think there's a huge thing to actually win away from home against England and against France because we go to a World Cup. We're going to have to win away from home. Like, you know, I'm going to beat the strong teams away. And look, what, like, it's all about the squad. It's going to be interesting to see what he does with the with the Australian tour. Um, mm. I don't know who he's going to bring. I was so impressed with Carberry. Do you know when um, mm. Sexton went off for that no- the head knock um, or the HIA and controlled the game so well? Like I was like, you know, like the simple things. I didn't know how he was going to come on and react, but controlled everything so perfectly well. Mm. Like you know, also took ball on. Like he wasn't yeah, afraid to play his he's natural. A, he's such bits a threat well. to the line. You yeah. know, he's like stepping. He's getting yards and. At the end, then he plays and he nails a touchline conversion. And yep. then Johnny, it was interesting. Johnny was stood in the sideline as he came off. All the players ran off at halftime. Johnny waited till Joey came over, high fived him, pat him on the back of the head, and the two of them ran in together while everyone else had gone in. Mm. Like it's just that unity. You can just sense it. Like it's just confidence is great. Yeah. Like. I'd say Carby's learned a lot from Johnny. Like he's shadowing him in training. He's doing the plays. He's learning the way he goes about his kicking practice. Everything. It's immense for him to get to learn from him. But I think the Australia tour is really interesting because you look at some of the guys that went to Japan and America last summer and then came through in the Six mm. Nations. Like the likes of James Ryan got his yeah. first cap there. There's probably some Porter other as Porter. Well, yeah. like there's, t- there's three or four guys that went and are now superstars on the Irish team. So Joe will be thinking, right, who's in, who are the next, the next four or five? Mm. It's an amazing position to be in and, and Andy probably has some stats for me on the average age of that team. <laughs> I was, but the, um, yeah. but, uh, was going to say, the average age of the team that finished, if you look at that yeah, midfield, like yeah. you have um, Carberry, you had Larmer, you had Ringrose mm. and I was like, on, and then bar Rob Carney there, you were like the average age would have been, jeez, would have been 22 or something like that? It was, Marmion, it's, the right winger again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like the back line anyway, like very, very young, and also like well, might sort of do some of the game in reverse because uh, Kev, I think you mentioned there that um, the game changed a little bit when George Ford came on, mm. but probably too late. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's yeah, too little, too late. It's, you know, it's like, too late. There's 25 minutes left in the, that game, and when they bring back that that axis that gives defenses problems. Yeah, it does, but you, sometimes you can't start like that, and you can't have it. If you have a team that starts like that with a ten like that, it's not always going to work. If you go from the outset to go wide, 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 or whatever, you have to break it down. You have, teams have to get fatigued at the end of the last fifteen, twenty minutes. Yeah, it's a looser game, and it comes on. And I think we were kind of holding on a little bit to that, to that. Win. But also, you're putting, you're talking, you've got Larmer out of position. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's the same. It's the same changeover. So it, Ford comes on at the mm. same time that Bundy goes off. Mm. I mean that that's a huge shift in dynamic in that midfield at the start of the game. Oh, completely. Sure, Larmer. I'm 
probably has not trained once in midfield. I yeah, didn't they know. said he hadn't trained there at all, yeah. <coughs> you know, because I was I, when Bundy went off, I was trying to work out who was going to go. We were saying Carberry 12 oh, okay. but, or Johnny 12 and Carberry 10 I thought something that, like yeah. that. But Joe, I think, said, did he say that he wanted to keep Carberry to bring on for Johnny for the last 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah. Is that why? Yeah, he was trying to, he's holding them in reserve. That's confidence. <laughs> yeah. to do that, isn't it? It really is. Um, like that. That is not the, for a lot of people, that's not the obvious play no. to put Larmer in there. But he did well, and in fairness, they almost had a nice little, nice little try in the right-hand corner when uh, Ring Rose that Ring Rose. <laughs> he should have passed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Ring Rose to create that is a lovely bit of improvisation, a basketball pop over the top. It's yeah. fantastic. Let's talk about Ring Rose for a second. Yeah, yeah. He's a real deal, isn't he? <laughs> Honestly, both, for both guy, sides of the ball, mm. both sides of the ball for a guy who's played very little rugby this year to come into two cauldrons like that and actually be potentially Ireland's best player in both games like he took on Cruz there at one stage and jumped out of the line and ripped uh, the ball off him and and then he did it to Elliot Daly at one yeah. stage as well massive hit and just reefed the ball off him got it that's two big turnovers like and and just brilliant defence and, and yeah he was just absolutely like we've talked like Henshaw was brilliant then Farrell came in got man yeah. the match and then Ringrose comes in and there's a level up again and uh, oh yeah, I, we're doing ratings for it. I might have got a bit carried away, but I gave him a ten out of ten for it. But I'll <laughs> stand over that. it. Well, <laughs> that. The emotions are running high. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen yeah. Jones probably gave him a five, did he? he got <laughs> well, it, Pat, Pat started off with a twelve out of ten. So <laughs> <laughs> twelve is my, is my big. I tell you what, though, for midfield being somewhere we're a little bit light with Rico and Doris retiring, mm. and now we're absolutely stacked. Pat, you were talking to Ringrose after the game. We'd run it a couple of times in training and I mean, Tyg is defies the logic for a tight head with, with how mobile he is and also the depth skills he, he has. So um, I knew I was chasing on the outside of Bundy who was, did exceptionally well to get it inside to, to CJ and it was a pretty intelligent finish against the post. I know you got that try to start, but you must be happy with your defence. I can see you're pretty knocked up there, but you made some big defensive hits in there today. Uh, oh yeah, certainly helped with, with Bundy and, and the wingers and Rob, I thought was exceptional as well. So it was pretty tough coming against certainly those centres that they have between Ben and uh, Ben and Jonathan and then uh, Owen moving to 12 when George came on so we knew we'd have a work out for us but it was it's actually kind of similar to last week in terms of Scotland that we knew they've got the individual flair to beat you one on one but it was how we could kind of back each other up so they made a couple of few line breaks we probably won't be pretty looking at the video but, but I think we were able to back each other up and, and just about hold them out and Joe spoke about that eight minutes after the second half we said that you guys had to hold them out it was maybe the most important match and he was most proud of you guys is that something you guys were proud and you spoke about at half time you knew you had to hold them out for a while yeah well sorry it was it was tough and we were under the pump for a good while and it wasn't probably the best way to start the second half we probably talked about trying to um finish the sorry start the second half the way we finished the first but we have found ourselves on our line and I think it was incredible character shown by the forwards to to put in the work they did you know, I mean us backs had a job slightly easier in those circumstances compared to the forwards work they put in but his decision making oh it's super, like it's unbelievable isn't it like he yeah. just makes the right decision right time as you say shoots out of the line when he has to shoot yeah. reads it extremely well and the confidence he's given lads on the inside yeah. must be unbelievable. <clears throat> like especially I know um people have spoken about during the week about um We'll kind of move on to Stockdale a little bit that Andy Farrell had actually stood behind Stockdale in yeah. training during the week which is I was surprised that came out actually um, but like he because he's got to have that confidence in the 13 and ring roses certainly mm. giving him that confidence from in there you know he's got the wheels to get out of, like if he's under pressure if he's sat down with the English defence he's got the pace to get over and recover yeah. from that like, yeah. but he's mm. making right reads anyway and it's very comfortable so can we talk about the, the, the tries in the first half won that game that game was won at half time um, it's something which people who understand 
how scoring works in Test Rugby would have known England weren't coming back from that unless something not normal happened 21-5 games done um, first try big up and <clears> under <throat> perfectly timed drops on the goal line Rob Kearney jumps makes it messy with Watson English fans probably see a knock on official didn't Ringrose is the first guy like he's, he's got that instinct he's a ball hawk both sides of the ball Pat yeah. you just mentioned Yeah. he went for Cruz stripped the ball and on the opponent's line got that ball down I mean just that, that was a nice bit of work Ireland were on the ball yeah and let's just say the first two tries came from pretty like smart video analysis Anthony Watson at 15 not as sharp as Mike Brown put him under a bit of pressure early in the game that was what Johnny went in mm. went in saying to himself uh, the second play was they would have identified something with 10, 12, 13 TO 12 can be exposed um, with that play yeah, I saw the not um, the best defender in the world. I like smashing they tweaked the play they used a couple of years ago against yeah. them. So exactly, the small thing like went I, w- I would guess home, they yeah. probably wouldn't have done that if Farrell's at twelve. You know, it's that kind of smart play that they find they find kinks in the armor based on on the personnel they're playing against. The first two tries were just really really smart analysis. You know? Okay, so we've got some audio on the second <coughs> try from Joe Schmidt. Um, we played the identical move against England three years ago in Dublin, and um, Robbie Henshaw went through and fell over. Um, he got ankle tapped and Billy Vinopola managed to drag him down so uh, well, they're the only two times we played it just the, the, the way they, they come up defensively we felt it would potentially work again and where they place their, their forwards um, so you know sometimes it, that, that works and sometimes it doesn't it, you know sometimes you get double jeopardy you think they might do this so we might do that and then they think we think I give up then um, yeah, so Joe was Joe was telling everyone that this is something they'd they'd run before. Uh, he's been in some good analysis of it. Malachi Clerken's line is lovely in the Irish Times. Says the delicate grace of this is Furlong as he sold the intent of full on rumble to the English defence only was like watching a heavy metal drummer balance a stick on the back of his hand mid solo <laughs> as he ships off the pass. That's it. Tight head props are not supposed to do that. Oh, what an immense game he had! Like ah, I was writing down like eighteen ta- eighteen tackles from a tight head prop <laughs> and twelve carries. Unbelievable. And dominated the scrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he's he was everywhere, wasn't he? Like. They've you yeah. defend a lot of malls as well. Yeah. That's like just zapping, you know, zapping. That was, game. especially when Peter Matty was in, but like yeah. to have that um, resilience and not let them score, because the easy thing would have been let them to score off one of those earlier malls, you know, and then to keep them out while Pete was still off That's the field. Cute. Oh, they have to work so hard to do it. Like you'd know yourself more so than I would about how hard it is and, and sapping it is, energy sapping it is to defend those malls. Yeah, we're dogged. Talk us through that play though, Jimmy, Did like for England defending that playoff furlong like what did they do wrong or what could they have done better oh it's it's extremely hard to do you know if you're choosing if you're picking the wrong guy you have to make decisions it's, it's putting as you say Benny Teo under pressure there you yeah. know to make the decision and he's obviously just focusing on someone else having a look at him his eyes aren't on it and then he's a slip through the, the gap there's a they lot of people in motion yeah, Johnny, talk, it? it's all yeah. about hips yeah exactly they're following him to Johnny because he's the obvious player yeah. at the back and then Get the timing right back you through the hole. As long as we, but that's that because you, if you've done, if you looked at the way kind of Ireland and Leinster have played, we do the rap so much that yeah. Yeah. it's second nature that you kind of expect, and it's only that it's that one time like that play once we'll try it, mightn't work if not, but it's like oh, to use it off like like we'd miss a penalty, kick the touch, one chance, just ruthless, like it's brilliant, like and it really is. It's so hard to defend with so many lads running different lines at you. And I was just saying, even then, Stander as well to kind of have the. P- yeah. presence of mind just to I think there was three men on him and he just still barreled for the bottom of the post as well and 
and knew it again. That was the, the weird thing about that is we're talking about the celebrations. Is like there was a TMO for each one, so there was no big yeah moment. Yeah. But Stander, that was one where he was convinced that he had got it, and um, just reward for him as well. I think he had twenty four carries as well. Like so, well, some of the stats. The last well, actually, one it's an underrated part of that break. That so Aki times it brilliantly. He's a, he's at a little half step just to make to make that gap a little bit yeah. bigger for himself. He is only passing right until the last second mm. when he fires it left to stand. Because Ringrose is on his... Yeah, yeah. yeah. He must and have got a big he's, shout. I he's checking he the defence. He's checking the defence and just makes them sit a little bit and then fires it he left. He must have got a big shout or I'd say Stander said to him during the week is oh, I'm going to steam up the inside here yeah. with this play. If you make a break I'll be on your inside. I'd say he said it to him. I'd he, say, yeah, yeah. Jamie used to be very good at doing that. So off like those line-out plays Jamie would just run straight from yeah. the line-out and he'd be on the inside. He'd get a load of tries from it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he would have even told. Like, I'd say he would have said it to him during the week. Just I'll be on your left shoulder. Okay. Yeah. And, and before we get to, we, we'll talk about the defence in a second now. The um. So the third try, and uh, it's something that I I went back and looked because someone had, someone had made the point on um on Twitter. And I can't remember who it was. They'd said Ireland have scored this many points. Oh yeah. 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 So I went back and looked it up. Yeah, Ireland scored thirty-one points in the championship in added time Heck. at the end of either half, which is huge. That's just enormous. Uh, so Stockdale and Murray on the short side. It's funny watching the video back. You can see the gap slowly being created as people get sucked in. I think it's actually Ringrose who makes the f- who mm. bring who takes mm. Johnny May out. Mm. So he picks the ball up left on the short side, <coughs> runs a diagonal line inside. May has to take him, and now the only person out there beyond the ruck for England is Wigglesworth, Willsworth, and Murray and Stockdale spot it immediately. It's a nice try. I think it's something they targeted. They Murray did it two or three times, like f- to good effect. Just little snipes down the blind. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's, it's hard to defend, like, and and particularly the way if someone cleans from the outside in, uh, and takes that kind of uh, that last person on the edge of the rook, yep. and you get a two on one. It's like they're just they exploited it really nicely, you know. Especially when you have a nine as well at the end of the line. <coughs> so if you if you've lost your winger. And he's come in, and you have that nine. Wigglesworth's going to have a, have a decision. And when you have Murray running at you, when you have two backs, it's key personnel as well. Mm. Like he still had a hell of a lot of work to do to finish it. You know, like what a fin. And I, I know you mentioned about CJ there when he said mm. when he scored a try and so confident. Same Stockdale. I was like, oh no, that's a knock on definitely. Yeah. Even when he scored it, it was completely right. There was no jumping up and then. Oh, we've scored it. It was. And also was because like, of yeah, the um, the yeah. blue lines on the pitch, it was not completely obvious where he dotted it down no. first time um, yeah Eddie was asked about that yeah. wasn't he because that was it initially I think uh, I think one of the rugby writers Ben Coles had tweeted it out immediately when it happened saying oh because they did the blue lines instead of the white lines this is why the try was scored and then it came out that Eddie Jones had made that decision and, and to, make, he, to make the in goal bigger yeah he made yeah. the in goal bigger and he wow. said because they wanted to kick behind the Irish Lions because they were pressing up so he said no no we didn't do it. and the, a journalist asked him did it not come back to bite you and he goes no I don't see how it did and it's like well there's an obvious he got very defensive he's going to yeah. You know, perfectly within the rules. Was it a penalty try. If yeah, because yeah, he was tackled, it would have been. I just, I, I couldn't believe tackled. he kept his feet. It's so yeah. hard to keep your feet. He's a full tilt. I actually think the English players did him a favour because they kind of grabbed us at, at his arms as he was going for the ball. Stop him knocking yeah. the ball on. Knee, knee, yeah. ball down. Like, but he just did exceptionally well to keep his feet, didn't he? He really did. Well, but we, in fairness, yeah. like Eddie Jones's point was validated in the same game. Farrell did yeah, you know, lovely a lovely grubber kick, yeah. through. The weight on that for mm. Elliot Day. Yeah, that was pin perfect. Beautiful try. Yeah, like a really beautiful try so you could see that that's what they could do because you know Ireland play a, a, a different they don't have a big sweeper like that in those situations yeah you know? well, that was it and it was like um, 
But yeah, just to kind of, as, as Kev was talking about there, just with Stockdale, just that extra thing, like a lot of guys then would have just got dragged back mm. or might have even hit the deck, but he kept going. Like, you know, he was always only just thinking about mm. scoring that try as well. And, and and that's it. We're talking about like there's all these player of the tournament nominations are up and at least Stockdale is in there, but I don't think he's going to get it. And I don't think he's going to get a lot of the votes, but he's got seven tries in a championship. It's, yeah. it's, it's it must crazy. be a great feeling when you can't stop scoring. Jimmy, what's it like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's like winning line is, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the game within a game here, right? So the game within the game, as far as I'm concerned, watching that match back is there's between the 24th minute and the 37th minute in the first half and then the, the 42nd minute to the 49th minute. Those are the two big goal line stands there and have. Mm. And it was frightening at the time and it was it's even more frightening looking back and at the intensity of some of those hits and how close England came to get in that ball over the line only to be shoved back. Kev, when you're, I, I think a number of the players spoke about the work of the forwards in particular. Mm. We also saw Sexton right in the middle of that. Yeah. And yeah. Murray. And Murray. Yeah. yeah. Like, talk us through some of that defensive stance. T- like, they just dug the heels in and dug the trenches. And <clears throat> it, it was, like you say, it was very offensive defence. They were going forward, they were off the line, everyone hunting an impact tackle. And like Jimmy will agree with me here, it's a great feeling when you're defending like that. And it, it's enjoyable. And when everyone's on the same page, it's really, really hard to break down. And they were making it hard for England because they were coming off the line hard. They're putting pressure on the ball handlers. Um, and to be honest, some of those defensive phases were as good as a try and, and give you that same feeling of scoring a try. When you put in 20 hits in a row, get a turnover, boot it up the pitch, like you're absolutely buzzing. And it's such a, like, it's a real, it's really tough on, on the opposition team as well and they don't pick up points. Yeah, it can absolutely break it. You know, you're, you're hammering away against the wall and you're just getting walloped back by Ireland's defence, slowly just one or two steps, pushing lads back, pushing it back. And England, I think England weren't too tactically astute in how they play you know they were running from like just trying to be uh, nearly like South Africa-esque you know just trying to bulldoze run over mm-hmm. and when you're getting hit at the game line and you've no plan B yeah. you're kind of going okay well we're supposed to be getting through here and this defence is just so resilient and knocking us back it's it's unbelievable how when you just keep pushing even towards the end of the game okay yeah they did get a try but the defensive effort again we were on the, in the 22 halfway and we pushed them back out to the 10 yeah. and then Danny Kerr was taking a few quick taps but knocking them back like just going yeah keep coming is that all you have you know and it's going to kill you as an attack you're going what are we doing like what do we need to do to break this and the, as you say that confidence and that enthusiasm that and work rate that the lads have to work for each other there isn't it like it's you're working for your teammates you're as Paul O'Connell always says like you go to the well there you know it's like it takes so much out of you those and tackles. it's hard but people forget it's probably slightly harder for the, the attacking team I reckon mm. because they've got a resource every rook and the amount of pressure the Irish back row in particular mm. are putting on every single ball yeah like they've got a Work so hard to retain the ball. It likes a bestie, Levy, uh, O'Mahony, absolute mm. pests at every rook. So there are, there are three or four at every rook plus the ball carrier. Ireland are smashing them back, ball carrier plus one, putting pressure on the ball. Like England are working so hard for so many phases and not getting any result. And they're 14 points behind. It's really soul destroying. Can I just point something out? When England scored their first try in the first half, that, that conversion was pretty critical to get within one score. Yeah. And Anthony Watson was getting treated. Did you, just yeah, did you see what I saw? The physio ran within two yes. metres. Yeah. I'd say he's fired. 
it's but I'd be shocked. I was really surprised. So Did you see it? It's yeah. in front of his line. He, he, like he almost around, knocked yeah. the ball over. He ran so close to Farrell. It's like running. A, it's like the golfer with someone ro- walking across his line. Oh, I was really surprised God. that Farrell did not go up to the ball and just start his whole routine again because I think the referee would have understood. I've never seen Farrell miss a kick like that. It was yeah. bread and butter for him. It and, was. And, and that the, was cr- it was quite crucial, was crucial. later on when there was like it was nearly three scores or two scores and it was like oh, yeah. the physio with the head down and basically wandered up to the ball just as Farrell's taking his run up. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. it yeah, he, he does. It wasn't England's day. No, and he's wearing <laughs> his big high vis. You know, so much oh went wrong with God. him though, didn't it? Like I was even saying, like yeah. a toe Jay, I think he got done twice for tackling in the line out as well, and he did that two years ago against us and got away with it. But yeah. he got done again, and then. Just it was a lovely moment where like Dylan Hartley was telling the ref to watch out for Ireland going off their feet at the breakdown, and a minute later they went off their feet at the breakdown and got done for a penalty, and yeah. just nearly everything went wrong for them as well. And it wasn't a great game, apart from Farrell's little chip through. Like he he wasn't on top. Like and Sam Simmons got absolutely bashed around the place. Like and he was a guy yeah. who's done well earlier in the championship. And <clears throat> apart from like there's only a few like Elliot Daly's pure class now in that game and his remember the restart that he won oh that was incredible yeah like but he was one of the only guys that stepped up and kind of came out with credit even maybe Haskell as well like but their real discipline though was their penalty count was horrendous and letting they were letting Ireland off the hook (coughs) so easy like we're down to 22 you're working hard Ireland are you know they're going to kick it out in fairness Murray made some great kicks um, from the 22 and got it up towards the halfway line and like that's unbelievable release to get away from there but England just got penalty But, but that happened at the end so the end of that that, that 37th minute in the first half there's bang 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 four consecutive calls Ireland get and they go all the way from their 22 into the England half mm-hmm. four, and it's not penalties it's penalty it's 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 knock on it's free Early kick yeah. the yeah. there's just a sequence of them and you're going the best teams in the world do not do that yeah. it's it's that simple um, the something interesting here that Simon Gleave came up with yesterday um, uh, he comes up with a lot of good study stuff but he looks at the number of times Ireland's tier 1 opponents have got into their 22 and when and if you look back all the way to South Africa and Argentina um, in the autumn like the first time that Ireland are conceding active possession by a team bringing the ball into the 22 Ireland have already won the game you know it's 7 points up it's 14 points up it's it's 14 <laughs> it's 14 it's 27-13 it's 20, 21-3 the, Ireland have already done significant significant damage to these teams and then when you get into the second half it's soaking it up it's making sure they don't break bend but don't break they were yeah. so calm at the start of the second half I thought as well like that defence like they were in their 22 but nobody was panicking everybody knew their roles as well and mm. I think that was Schmidt at the, at the end of the game he said that was the thing that he was most proud of um, it was that 10 minutes after mm. after the second half where they just they shut them down like, and they just knew everybody had to do a job here soak up this England are going to come at us but let's take it and then they came marched up the other end of the pitch and kind of did the job Okay, um, we're going to be joined the line now by someone, uh, someone with a view from on the ground. Hello, Chris Farrell, Andy McGeady here. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? I think you're. We're recording. How are you feeling? How are we? Are we? I'm, we good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm very good. Yeah, uh, uh, we're in Dublin last night having a have a party. But I'm feeling fresh enough this morning, considering. That's. Uh, I've got James Downey and Kevin McLaughlin and Pat McCarry here with me. Hey Chris, how you hey Chris. Congratulations, Chris. How are you all? Thank you. Thanks very much. There you go. Yeah, so man of the match from the Welsh game, then uh, probably a bit of a downer getting knocked out for the rest of the tournament, Chris. Um, but, you know, it must feel pretty good to be part of a Grand Slam winning expedition. 
Yeah, I suppose it does. I suppose it, um, it definitely was a little bit bittersweet, but look, I was lucky to get that chance in the first place with injury for Robbie, and um, I suppose once you get in there and you enjoy that game and you get a bit of a taste for it, you obviously want to continue and, and stick in there whenever it could be such an important tournament or such a significant tournament, but like it's still, I'm still extremely happy that I've had my one fifth of an involvement in the Grand Slam, and I'll take it every day. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, we talked to you when you were still over in France. These are the reasons you came home. Yeah, exactly. It's, I probably even would. I would never have thought that last year, whenever I was in France, or even thinking back to a few years ago when I was making that decision to go to France, I would never have thought that three or four years down the line that I would be part of a Grand Slam within team. So. Look, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to be part of it and even if that was a small part I'm, I'm so delighted with it and, and these are exactly the reasons that you come home and every young Irish player that ever leaves would still aspire to play for Ireland at some stage probably and I'm just delighted that it all worked out very well my moves and, and the move back as well uh, We were talking about the um, the Irish tries earlier on uh, the Aki the line through the centre and Tyke Furlong's hands is that something that you'd seen in training? Those, well, look, Tag's obviously an extremely skillful tight head prop, and, and, and Bundy's just a great athlete, and he runs good lines, and he, he can do everything. So, like, they're always capable of doing that. But that's obviously Joe Smith. That's Joe Smith down to the tee. He's analyzed teams. I've never seen anyone analyze teams in greater detail. And you know that if, if you're doing something at the weekend, you want to, if you're going to question it, if you don't think it's going to work, you want to have a good bit of research done because. No one puts in as much research as he does into games, and it's worked it perfectly for that try. And uh, uh, Chris, Kevin here. What what have you learned? Obviously, coming back from Grenoble now at Munster, um, I believe for, from reading that like one of the main reasons you came back was because Joe was in touch and had stayed in touch with you while you were in France. What have you learned? You're talking about his detail there. What have you learned from being in Ireland camps that was different, say, from France and um, you know your time in Grenoble? It's I put in a lot of the effort. Like effort being one of the most important things in rugby. You know, you can have all skill sets and, and whatnot, but it's you can beat teams based on effort. If you can outwork teams and and your effort level is higher than them, then there's no reason why you can't beat a team that has higher skill that has a, has has of greater potential than than the team that you're in. And that's one of the things. Not even from from Irish camp. That's one of the things I took from Munster and. And Razzy Erasmus, when he was there, it was all based on effort. And Felix Jones still drives it down there. Effort is everything. They was a, they'll never ever uh, ball you out on something that isn't effort. Or that if it's skill based, they'll never ball you out, or you'll never really be be highlighted in meetings. But if if you're not putting in enough effort in, in an area, then you've got to be expected to be highlighted come the next week. So I think effort is a massive part of it, and that's that's nothing very really technical. That's come from Joe. That's more just being back in the Irish environment. And is that different to France? Do you think that the emphasis is different than it would have been in France? Yeah, I think there's probably more selfish aspects to the thing in France, like uh, player-wise. And, um, yeah, I think it's different. I think you could definitely look at French teams and say, look, we just work hard here. And our our effort is much better than theirs. We may make mistakes and whatnot, but overall we should create more opportunities through that. 
Yeah, just last question for me. I'm hugging here. <laughs> just interested because it. one of the amazing things over the course of the Six Nations is it didn't matter who wore the jersey; the standard was the same. And three different people wore the 13 jersey over the course of the tournament, and three different people played at an incredibly high level. How did you maintain that? How did you get to that level during training? And when you came in, there was no drop off. If anything, there was probably a lift in performance when you played against Wales. How did you manage to step in and just play so seamlessly? And Gary Ringrose did the same thing. Is that the way you guys train, or, or how does that how does that fit? Yeah, I suppose it's a fine lesson than how I understand some be as a as a professional rugby player in Ireland because there's always guys sitting in behind that are uh, ready to perform at, a, at an even higher level. And Gary came in over the last two weeks, and I thought it was incredible over both of them. And um, look, I think if you're in the Six Nations squad, there's an expectation that if someone goes down or if you end up being relied on for a game that you're able to perform at the next level and we're so also well prepared for games that there's no reason why we can't and I don't know I don't know how you how you can explain that because I've been thinking about myself and everyone that's wore that 13 jersey played extremely well over the over the course of the Six Nations and across other numbers as well whenever there was other people relied on we did the same thing and but I guess it is the training level it's the competition in training out in Thornton House we put a lot of pressure on each other and maybe it's that that's all I, I, can't, I can't explain it to be honest uh, Chris what was, we, we saw some of the pictures like um, the likes like Robbie Henshaw was over in London and, and Ian Keatley was there as well and um, we, I think you joined up with the lads up at the Shelburne yesterday um, what were they like you know like what are they, like these boys they're one they're on you know they're on the you know party and ever since then but like what are they like welcoming you in how did it feel to go in and get in the middle of the big party the, the celebrations it felt, it felt good it felt very good like I didn't feel any way I, I was worried about it I thought I don't want to be walking in here in the Shelburne I've only had one fifth to play and I was a bit nervous about it to be honest and feeling like it might not be my place but uh, I felt perfect today. all the management everyone came up and everyone has texted me pretty much saying you know you had your part to play and make sure you enjoy the celebrations and even yesterday morning whenever they were still in London they got a text message from Peter O'Mahony just saying well done congratulations and I don't think they've forgotten that there is it's a massive squad effort and even for the boys that that never got to play like Keats or like Rory Scannell and, and boys like that they've driven the standards in training week in week out and uh, it does it does feel like a squad effort and it doesn't feel like anyone deserves it more than anyone else to be honest and for yourself coming up to um, the, so I know maybe you might be struggling to get back before the end of the season is there a chance for you for Australia like is that something you'd love to be involved in is there any, any chance of that happening yeah, it's something I would definitely love to be involved in, but that's that's not going to happen. I'm afraid. No, it's, it's going to be September at the earliest of next season, and for hopefully I'll get back training with us with Munster in the middle of pre-season and even for middle to end of September to play again. After yeah, significant injury, and it is what it is. I'm over it now, but obviously that was hard to take because. I would have loved to be in that squad going to Australia because that's going to be another massive building block going forward in the next season. And look, that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to do what I can as you get back for October, September time and be in the best shape I can. Be a better athlete. Listen, good man, Chris. Uh, best luck with the rehab. Enjoy the rest of the celebrations to come. Lovely. Thanks very much. Thanks for the chat. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Bye-bye. So there's one of a list of individual performances among the squad performance 
Um, he came in super game man of the yeah. match just trucking the, trucking the ball and hitting people hard and I'm I'm not being flippant but like he did a lot more but like it was a really really powerful performance there and when he went down all of us including in the studio were sort of going uh, is Ringrose okay <laughs> will they move Earls in will they bring Scannell you know there were a lot of options on the table and it all just worked out talk about individual performances in this tournament James Ryan has yet to lose a professional game of rugby <laughs> he's played he started five tests. He started five for Leinster. He even he hasn't lost a game. This stuff is easy. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, and he's a huge part to play in all those wins. Yeah, you know I haven't seen him have a bad game. In fact, he's standout in, in pretty much every game. He's a huge, impressive athlete and pretty exciting. To the age, what is he? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. He's, he's played four frame. pro. He still looks a bit games. gangly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he does. Huge, he has. A he's got a huge frame, but hasn't filled it out yet. Like yeah. the, the guy is. He's already physically imposing himself in games yeah. and seems to be a bit like Tyke Furlong in that he gets through his tight work but also ca- carries the ball 15 times a game and gets through lots of tackles. And, you know, they're not scraggly tackles. He's making impact tackles. And it's great options to have, to have Dev, Ian and and, and James all putting pressure on each other in camp. And I think going back to Leinster now, there's great options there. It's, it's pretty exciting, really. Yeah, and they're different types of players, but... Uh, what Chris said about the effort I think James Ryan's efforts around the park or his workload is unbelievable it's huge it's immense what all the, that work that he gets through he's getting to those breakdowns he's carrying and as you say for a guy who you think can still get bigger physically I think you know that, and he has such an, an effect on the game you know and oh, when he's not there now you, you kind of miss him you know and it's great to have those different types of second rows with Dev and then Hendy who can kind of play as a back rower mm. Look as you say, when they go back to Leinster, then again it's gonna think. Look, if we're gonna look as well to kind of provinces, that confidence now of Leinster going in against Saris, and some of those English players on the other side are gonna be like, oh, are we gonna deal with this again? Yeah, well, and that it sets it up nicely for that, and we'll definitely have, have time for, th- for that in a future show, the Saracens' revenge mission. <laughs> you know, uh, Dan Levy, we've talked a lot about, but he had another stormer, Pat. Yeah, oh, he was um, yeah really impressive. I, I was looking back on it because I was talking about getting carried away with giving ten out of ten. So I gave him a nine nine point five, and somebody gave me grief. Harsh, somebody harsh. gave me grief what, for sorry, it. Sorry, what was the deduction for? <laughs> what was the half point? Well, I was asked, somebody said, "Why did you take like, a half ball, a point?" Yeah, that's it. It was a restart. And first, he knocked it forward. Ball, I think I've seen him still on the championship. But yeah, there, there we are. That's a, that's a half mark. <laughs> that's a half mark gone for. But uh, he was he, he just. I think nearly every time he carried, he got over the game like uh, game line. And he just, just smashed the lads back. And um, there's a couple of even big moments where like Ireland were under pressure, and he would you'd hear him. He'd put the hand up. He'd call it on himself, and and he'd get there. And he's got a nice bit of swagger about himself, and talks himself up before games, and and happens to back it up as well. I think you guys. It was really good mentioning that, like he looked like the Sean O'Brien when he was first breaking through, and he has that kind of air of mm. confidence because England would have targeted him maybe as a, a weak link. But he, if you're looking at him at the start, or if you're looking at the squad as a whole, you might go, okay, well, initially he would have been the third choice, mm. <laughs> third choice seven. Mm. Maybe like people were discussing during the week about oh, if Sean O'Brien's back, would you would you have him? And he'd be like, no, where, where are you going to put him? Like mm. he can't, not at all. Like you know, it's. Just well, goes to show where, how, far, how far the squads come on. It certainly have, and then but if we talk about, is one name we cannot end this segment without talking about, which is Rob Carney, the man who has started mm. the last ten Grand Slam winning <laughs> games. It's all of '09 and now all of 2018, and he had a stormer in tricking him. You talk about bounce back ability because he was he was on the way out. He was struggling so badly with his hamstring and his back and all sorts of things, and he just spent pretty much last year rebuilding himself and getting mm. ready to go again. 
Oh, yeah, he he was great at the weekend. He's been great over this championship. Rock solid, great carries, and small little moments as well. Like he just he was so slippery on first contact. So he'd take the mm-hmm. ball in at the weekend and suddenly just twist. It was like the and I mean this respect, the old Rob Carney could do that. He could spin on first mm-hmm. contact, and also uh, it was towards the I got it written down here. Can't find my notes. He runs in off the left hand side, does his bounce. Itoji gets a big arm around the ball and. Rob Kearney muscles that ball back onto the Ireland side it's a small thing but those are the things that win you a Grand Slam yeah look, he's highly impressive and if anyone was questioning him about small things or like talking about Larmer and he's under pressure mm. he's answered every single critic and more like and you're sure Larmer's at 13 isn't he yeah <laughs> or was he 12, was he 12? <laughs> there was even a good bit there you saw when um when Earl said the ankle tap on um, was it Daly or Johnny May was Daly, about to go yeah. Daly, Daly and he was yeah. about to get over the line and Carney came over to follow up on it and he just it was just so smart like he just grabbed Daly's arm and just put it on the yep. on the sideline mm. say, and then That's got the line for it yeah it's just class like. he's had a great six nations talk about other really moments though can we just talk about uh, uh, Andrew Porter manhandling uh, <laughs> Jamie George Oh yeah, yeah, with about a meter and a half to flop over the line. Jamie George weighs about 130 kilos, and like Andrew Porter didn't even have a shoulder on him. He just picked him up with his arms and threw him backwards. It was like one of the like moments of the tournament for me. Like the strength. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how does he not score here? <laughs> I think they scored off the next phase here, but that guy is a freak. I'm, I'm going to have to cut it short. We might have to do like a whole extra just looking back in the Grand Slam episode. We could talk for hours, but we'll have to end it there. So look, we'll be back next with some of your fan questions. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. We're going to take a look at some of your social media questions now. As always, check us out on Twitter at, at THYRugby and use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to get a question in for next week. So question one. Uh, what's the priority for the Australia Tour? Win the series or give players like Sexton, Furlong, Henderson, Stander the summer after rest? Not saying the two are mutually exclusive, mind. That's from Gary Gleeson. Yeah, my answer would be both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going to win it and they're going to try yeah, players out, yeah. but they've yeah. got enough quality now to go and do it. It's going to be tough to... We just mentioned there, Kev, we've barely mentioned Sexton, but you'd love to give him a break just to give Joey Carby some game time at 10, just to control it from start to finish. What you know? other 10s would you bring? <clears throat> How far, um, how like far away Keely, is Ro- or you thinking Ross Byrne? That's think? the quite the name that never comes up is Ross Byrne. Yeah. Yet he is a guy. If you look at the way Leinster play, if there's an injury, it's Byrne who steps in mm. for his accent. I was going to say Blaindell as well because he's just getting back from Munster as well. But yeah. um, he doesn't play for Leinster though. Yeah, honesty there's an honest bias here in the studio yeah, yeah. no I'll always be honest about that yeah he'll definitely bring one <laughs> he'll definitely bring one of them though yeah or who's, who's the, the Scannell well they use Scannell but as a 12-10 but yeah no and, uh, the, and the name and that we and then we should be able to have his career gone differently would be JJ but uh, that's not look we'll, we'll see no, he's who's actually the, he's, standing he's not on the radar though at the moment no he's not know, so yeah. he's got a he's enough to wear he's got to establish himself I wonder would someone like Cooney get a run yeah Cooney might travel yeah. and he yeah. was, is a Frawley is that the Leinster lad who came, came through and stepped in yeah, the last Frawley, yeah. Yeah. he he's looks the business yeah he? he looks very good yeah he's Other played well for UCD man. this year does that make see, you happier see, now Leinster man bring blue top yeah bring Frawley and leave leave the two Munster lads at home Kev is it correct yeah okay right do you see Dave Kearney continuing his great form and starting at fullback against Australia? That's from Willie. Well, well played, Willie. Like well played. Did anyone see Shane Ross's tweet? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. well done. Very Minister for Sport. Impressed with Rob Kearney there. <laughs> Quite quick witted. <laughs> yeah, uh, well done, Willie. Uh, okay, good question here from Dave Blair. The 2009 versus 2018 Grand Slam Irish teams, who wins? 18. 18? Yeah, 18. 
18 as well, yeah. I think they're really? better coached. They're better coached. I think they have better depth. I think Okay, Joe Schmidt is coaching both teams. Yeah, I think still 18 because 2009, they were very lucky. They barely had a single injury. Yeah. Um, they, they, they had their front line team, didn't they? Starting and 15. Yeah, and yeah. I think... Oh, I don't know someone's saying did they, I don't know how much they changed it in that Six Nations but yeah. compared to now where it's every game is a complete change but Joe but like the game's changed in the nine years as well it's more True. physical so like Joe was able to actually rotate which was pretty crucial in the end he was able to give guys a break over the course of the hmm. tournament well 2009 was the, the culmination of what was called the golden generation by media and, and a lot of us right And but I'd agree with you there it was the team and outside that we didn't have a lot of backup now that is the opposite mm. conundrum we get depth everywhere it's awesome uh, right next one um, good question here Kevin Johnson how do teams go about simulating match conditions at training in a short cha- training qu- session how are the likes of match fatigue and the type of pressure when chasing a score in the 78th minute created um, there's a couple of things there the first thing is they'll understand based on the data they collect from games what the intensity is like and they'll try and replicate that and then the second thing is Joe will put incredible pressure on them so he creates a pressure cooker in training so that means when they're used to playing under uh, high high pressure conditions for instance that tight furlong play that resulted in the CJ standard try they would have had one opportunity to run on a Thursday and if they mess it up, they don't get another opportunity. His philosophy would be, you do what you need to do, you prepare mentally, you run through it in, in you know, in the gym before training, but you get one chance. And that's the pressure he puts them under in training because they know on the pitch on Saturday they only get one chance. England aren't going to say, oh, you messed up, go back, do the line again. Yeah, you get it right again, next yeah. time. Like, And uh, creates huge pressure by doing that. It's mm. decision-making under pressure, isn't yeah. it? Like, you know, if you can put... Those uh, those situations together where you have to make that small little tap on or tip on or whatever on that one chance, and you have to, as you say, you have to nail it. If not, move on. Hard luck. There mm-hmm. goes your chance. Okay. Uh, question from regular question poster, the black and red. Uh, there's a lot going on in this question. Maybe more than on the surface. Will the Pro 14 get blamed for England struggles, or will they start to look at their own controllables for a change? Man, Pat. Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was actually saying I brought. I was saying I was reading uh, Lawrence Delalio had a piece there after the after the game on Sunday, and he was saying that um, England's Six Nations win rate is seventy two percent normally, but after a Lions tour, it's fifty four percent. So it's just like they should know that they have that kind of data themselves. Like so, they should be resting them, but they just can't control the Premiership clubs. So like no. the lads got absolutely flogged within weeks of getting back from that Lions tour. And like hardly any, like some a lot of the big boys who were good on that Lions tour have now not had great seasons as well. And uh, we might see it kind of, you know, as you said in the Champions Cup, biting the, the likes of Saracens as well. Because look at Atoje, like he is a shadow of the guy he yeah. was last summer. Like mm, Pro 14, 1, 2, 3 in the Six Nations. Yeah, yeah, it's been, I think it's been a couple, maybe 15, 16 years since something like that has happened. Like where mm. England were so far back, like, and. Um, but as you kind of even mentioned off air Andy it's like it's not to take off England and France were still the main threats for Ireland there even though they finished fourth and fifth yeah that's what I was saying so in 20 years time when people look back at the table I mean people shouldn't forget how hard it is how hard it was to go France first day and win mm. and go to England England could still have finished second in that championship they tumbled to fifth but it was in their own control and they had that in the line it wasn't as if Ireland won away against the fourth and fifth place teams in the mm. championship it's not like that um, but the controllables were there there's a lot going on as you alluded to mm. they, there is not the same link uh, as is the sort of the central approach that Ireland have Wales to a lesser extent Scotland certainly have it um, 
when do we see that changing or can it ever change with the way that English rugby is structured Jimmy? No I don't think so I think uh, English clubs have the control there and that's the way it is to be honest you know there is a pact in place though that they do have um, the players are allowed to be released for a certain amount of games but then if they're released back they have to play club games so there is a bit more control it used to be a lot worse in terms of players used to have to play in the week off in between mm. even if they were starting for England but the French are still doing that so yeah, yeah well that's just a that's just a madhouse isn't it that place so we'll, we'll avoid that minefield <laughs> well, hold, hold on I'm going to pull you up on that right so so Maxime Machineau oh, yeah. is the difference yeah. between a French Grand Slam and an Irish Grand Slam that's your thesis prove it uh, well, Max, yeah, Machineau, uh, if he had stayed on in the Ireland game, the Wales game and the England game, they could have won because they missed bad they, kicks they that Machineau would have kicked. Uh, no, yeah, so who else did he lose? The Scots as well. Um, yeah, so it was the French denied a Grand Slam because they took He was Machineau on against off. Ireland, he just didn't take the kick, was it? Yeah, because he had taken, wasn't it the initial thing they, about he had taken the knock to the head, so yeah. was he allowed to take it or not? Turned out he could have. I could not believe they took him off against Wales. That was, uh, they yeah. were one point behind. They've the best kicker in the tournament yeah. like he's only yeah. missed one or two kicks in the entire yeah. tournament and they take him off like <laughs> honestly absolute madness mm. and, and he's their best player I reckon yeah yeah. speaking of French rugby before we move on um, that photo that Racing Metro put out oh, of yeah. Dunnick Ryan yeah, sitting good. there watching the uh, the screen <laughs> watching oh, the game man. there's you could write a book about that one photo there was so much there. Yeah, it was it was beautiful, wasn't it? Like, yeah. um, but and, and that's another guy. Or I I did a piece yesterday saying like the guys Ireland were missing out on, and I actually forgot about Dunica Ryan. No offense to him, mm-hmm. but like that's how crazy it is. How much Ireland have moved on? Like Heaslip Payne, Sean O'Brien missing out again, and, and Zebo must have been Zebo. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's hard for him watching that. Mm-hmm. I'd say because he would have been right in the mix, you know, potentially starting. He should have started ahead of Carney. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. He would have been right in the mix potentially started. <laughs> he would have been in the mix but Lancer yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Down Under asks just wondering if the Hard Yards is following the summer tour and if so will it be a Hard Yards live show in Melbourne <gasps> Any, producer Alan, if anyone thanks. out there wants to make that happen we might say yes <laughs> yeah. we we, I'm sorry have we not got to go to New York as well can we fit that in our in summer August, schedule can we absolutely okay so if we can tra- contact Alan our travel secretary <laughs> we'll see how to make this happen um, oh and one f- a live one in from Seamus O'Connor yeah um, he said there was just put out a picture of like uh, all of us in the studio with Andy's orange trousers that he had on there as well And but he had a very valid question he said guys is there no the hard yards mugs um, there as well so Maybe we should get someone at branded as well. Or no, we're not. we're looking for a coffee sponsor. We need more. We record early. Yeah. Any, any coffee companies that want to sponsor our morning coffee. High quality coffee. Yeah. Uh, Andy's a coffee snob. <laughs> a coffee <laughs> connoisseur. Yeah. Well, he thinks he is anyway. Yeah. Anyone who wears those orange pantaloons there, needs to be a coffee snob. This occasion deserves bright pants. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, last one. Have you, did you see what was going on with the Spain-Belgium yeah. uh, game? Unbelievable. Jesus. To have, I don't know how it works. I know World Rugby have come out and made a statement that they're going to speak to Europe Rugby. To have a Romanian referee referee mm. a game that directly influences yes, it. Exactly. Did you see the penalty count? <laughs> yeah. It was 28 to 8 or I something. Th- I like thought that. Belgium were very disciplined. 28 penalties. <laughs> That yeah. has to be some sort of a world record. Yeah, they were, they were saying, like, a lot of the guys were saying that <laughs> the, the, the ref didn't, like, just didn't look like he was just like he was just bu- off a bus, 
given a whistle here ref this game and and yeah Romanian as well and then Romania ends up who Ireland are now Romania yeah, qualify and we're playing group, them yeah. in the World Cup so, th- so. This, so this impacted Ireland's group and for anyone who didn't see it uh, the start of the week Spain had identified this a, a, a while back, back it was last February month. wasn't it yeah. okay. um, saying that look uh, could you just not have Romanian officials for this game that's all we're saying <laughs> considering they go through if we lose uh, our Andy Tell us the last time there's been 28 penalties against a team in a game. Jesus, Come on, know. get your stats up. That's ridiculous. Honestly, has that ever happened in international It's ridiculous, actually, I, isn't it? I don't know. Because it's, it's a bad day if you've had 10 penalties. Oh, it's, you're, if you have 10, you've, got, you've lost the game. <laughs> and don't, like, the context of this is a touch judge being replaced for the Ireland-England game mm. because he attended and refereed an England training oh, session yeah. that week, which wasn't against the, the rules or the regulations, but didn't look great. And in fairness to World Rugby, I thought their statement was good. So yeah. they accept responsibility. We're going to shift it out. Yeah, no one's done anything wrong here. Move on. Move on. And this could have been avoided. Uh, I will say, though, the scenes at the end were not good. Spain chasing the referee, referee around the field. Yeah. Sorry, lads, that you've you've yeah. lost the moral high ground there somewhat. There'll be something to answer for in the back of that, I'm, I'm sure. Be, yeah. I think they, they look, forgot they weren't on a football pitch. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> cons- a football would be like, honestly, it was yeah. like you'd see after a football game. Like, oh, the no. The oh, no. Referee. Don't, don't do that. We got a question in. We got a question in from someone around uh, non rugby journos having a pop of, at rugby, and you've just done the opposite. But it's true. Yeah. After games, you'd see in football, like, that the referees would get it like chased around the pitch after a penalty decision or something you never see that in rugby so what, it's a real what shame what the old, as, as a rugby referee ever been locked in a car boot in <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there's, all, yeah, there's always stuff that happens in rugby and then someone goes oh that's not soccer or something like that and it's like well it's just happened in rugby and I've just seen it there like uh, the Leicester game when the ref was getting abused going off and someone's like it's not football lads and it's like yeah well I've just seen that happen in a rugby pitch it's yeah. always like the, the the kind of argument as well like but can we all just get along yeah, every every sport is great, isn't it? Well, uh, we're all great. I was going to just slate one sport there, but I won't. don't, don't. Uh, okay, badminton. I think is there anything else we need to great cover? Sport. We can. <laughs> um, we're all very happy uh, in this entirely neutral and non-biased <laughs> studio in Dublin. Congratulations to Ireland on the 2018 Grand Slam. That's about everything with James, Kev and Pat. Next up, we'll be joined by Joe reporter Rosanna Cooney, who will give us the latest on the trial up in Belfast. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. For the last eight weeks, there's been a lot of talk surrounding the rape trial in Belfast. We're reaching a concluding point and I'm joined by Joe reporter Rosanna Cooney to talk about that. Uh, Hello. Hey. First, it's quite important to remind people about the specific charges. Paddy Jackson denies a charge of rape and sexual assault. Stuart Olding denies a charge of oral rape. Blaine McElroy denies a charge of exposure. Rory Harrison denies withholding information and perverting the course of justice. So that is a summary of what we are talking about here. Obviously, it's very, very serious. Um, Rosanna, you've been in the courtroom. Uh, you were up there this was from the second week of the trial and that's when the um, the girl in question was giving evidence. Um, can you describe the courtroom for us? Yeah, of course. So the court is uh, courtroom 12 in Lagonside. So it's the biggest courtroom that they have in that complex. And when you go in, um, the defendants are sitting in a dock that's actually separate from everyone else in the courtroom. And this one in Lagonside has space for 20 defendants in that dock. And this is a hangover from um, trials that would have been had during the Troubles when you would have had um, large groups of defendants being tried at the same time. 
So the four guys are sitting in that dock every day and behind them there is a public gallery and there's a difference between the north and the south in terms of who can go into rape trials. In the south, um, all rape trials are held in camera, which means that Joe blogs off the street can't just walk in and observe and see justice being done. But in the north, you can. So a lot of times um, there'll be a queue outside of the door of the public gallery for people waiting to get in. And so there's a, a separate section for the press, but the rest of it is fair game. And so you have... Um, there's up to 100 people there every day um, watching the trial process and... Yeah, so it can be packed and sometimes there is like bickering over seats and people really want to get in and then if you lose your seat, it's gone. And so there is there is that element and I, I think being in a courtroom that's so full um, definitely adds, it, it gives it an atmosphere to a certain extent. And uh, like last week, obviously with the snow and the, the rain, it just had, it was heavy, wet kind of atmosphere when you're sitting in there every day. Um, so that's the public gallery. So you've got the public gallery at the back, the dock in the in front of that, and then the judge sits at the head of the courtroom. And on her right would be the jury box. And at the moment, there is eleven jurors rather than twelve because one fell ill during the trial. And then on her uh, on the other side would be the witness box, and that's elevated as well. But in the courtroom scenario. Um, the judge is sitting at the highest level compared to everyone else. So she's elevated above everyone else in the courtroom. And then sort of in the centre, you have the barristers, the solicitors, the legal teams, all kind of on these long benches sitting there. Okay. Um, We've had a steady stream of reports um, coming out of that courtroom. Um, It it, it can seem quite unusual that it's been a blow-by-blow account. for something that's uh, obviously, as I said, a very serious set of allegations. Um, going back to what you mentioned about the courtroom and the public being allowed there, um, the alleged victim, I'm assuming that she was not um, in public view. Was there a screen of any kind? Yes, yeah, so when the complainant was giving her evidence, um, the she was sitting in the witness box herself. The witness box has a curtain rail going around two sides of it, almost like um like a curtain in a, around a trolley bed in a hospital. And they pull that curtain, which is like a royal blue curtain, across one side. So she's um she's not directly visible to the defendants and the public gallery. But the way it's angled, so she's visible to the judge and to the jury and to the legal teams because one side is still exposed. Mm. And so what happens then is there's a like a live camera directed at her or whoever else is the intimidated witness in that scenario, um, directed at her. And then a TV is rolled into the courtroom, like on another trolley, like you'd have in secondary school and they're showing you a video. It's like that kind of thing is rolled in. And then the TV faces directly towards the defendant's docks. Doc. So when she's when she was giving her evidence, the visual was of her looking directly at them. And then she was also visible through that TV screen to the gallery and to the press. OK, so the gallery and the press can also see yeah. her at the same time. OK, Um when we talk about the length of the trial, it's now, I, I believe, eight weeks 
this going is on yeah we're coming into our seventh we're coming into the eighth week now there's been a number of, of delays there was a juror that fell ill and the judge decided that it was better for the trial to continue without that juror um, rather than to have perhaps other delays there's also been a number of, of visits there's been a visit to uh, Paddy Jackson's house for example um, was that for the jurors alone? Yeah, so the juror, the judge, the jurors and the judge went. Um, in Jackson's defence's closing speech, he actually labelled this as unusual. You know, he recognised that this was an unusual thing to happen, not out of the, like not completely out of the ordinary, but this was a surprise, I guess, for people for them to go. Um, and it became clear in uh, Paddy Jackson's defence's closing speech that the purpose of this was for the jury to really see the size of the rooms um, like how easily noise travels in the house the size of the living room the size of the master bedroom where the alleged rape and sexual assault occurred and the noise travelling is because there's been a, a couple of statements made in court that specifically reference to people hearing noise from the upstairs bedroom yeah, absolutely. So um, if people are aware, there was one witness to whatever happened in that room and, and she's called an independent witness because she's not on trial and she's not accusing anyone of anything. So that her name is Dara Florence. Um, she was a girl who went back to that after party and her and um, I think two of her friends were there as well. Um, they weren't friends with the complainant herself, but it seems like they all just they all just came back to this house. So uh, herself and one of her friends went upstairs to look for their other friend because they wanted to go home. When they were going up the stairs, they started to hear noises. And this girl, Dara Florence, said the noises... They didn't sound distressed and she thought they were of a sexual nature. She said she thought she heard noises of from both male and female. And so when she opened the door into Paddy Jackson's bedroom, what she saw is she says she's 100% sure she saw sex happening. And that would be between Paddy Jackson and the complainant and that the complainant's head was in the lap of Stuart Olding. And now what's important is that she said that when she got to the door the noise is stopped and so this is a really big point for the defence that what like they really asked the jury to consider quite heavily why these noises would stop when this girl opened the door if what was happening wasn't consensual and that was a big point in their closing arguments okay and um i suppose to be f- extremely fair to the young lady making the allegations she her contention from the start is that you freeze, that she froze in this situation and that it was not a matter of her um, providing consent through silent or not struggling, it's that she simply froze. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that um, the jury has already been made aware that this is a common feature for sexual assault victims that they do freeze and this has been given in, given in two separate evidence fr- from two separate witnesses one was a medical examiner brought on the part of the defence her name was Janet Hall and she said that overwhelmingly in her experience and in the evidence that victims freeze rather than seeking to resist and so that if the complainant in this case froze that's not uncommon and the second was from um, the, the another sexual assault treatment centre who said the same. And so the judge has already said, and it's been made clear to the jury, that they will be given further direction on this point as to 
that it is a common experience for victims to freeze and not to resist or not to fight um, and that's what the complainant said to her said happened in this situation and in relation to those noises um, when she was cross-examined about why she would about why the noises might stop um, when the door is opened she said the same she mm. said you don't know what happens in that situation you freeze for everybody who's been put on the stand to answer questions in this trial both the accused um, the complainant and anybody else there's been a staggering level of detail of the questions um, extraordinarily intimate things being asked and offered uh, for you sitting in the courtroom um, what's the experience like for you? Um, I suppose I think when you're listening to anything like this it's clinical and so it's not um it's not an it's not an emotional space it's a it's a courtroom of the law of of legality of and then also all these medical aspects being brought in so i think there's a there's a strong detachment when you're in there because this is this is a point that's being proven this is these are experts speaking about it and it has been acknowledged from several people from the defense and the prosecution that these details are graphic but i suppose it's not the place to be to be pussyfooting around anything because it needs to be as it needs to be explicit if it's to if it's to i suppose examine what happened these points are important and the allegations are serious it's important to get them right um, Rosanna, thanks very much for joining us today. I'd just like you to, to sum up exactly where we are now this week. We we, we had the um, the closing arguments from two parties last week and now three to go. Could you just let us know where we are? Yeah, so um, the court will sit on Wednesday again this week and between Wednesday and Thursday it seems like Stuart Olding, Blaine McElroy and Roy Harrison's defences will have their closing arguments. Um, the judge will charge the jury which means she will give them any directions um, that they need to be aware of. She'll also go through all of the evidence again and um, give them any advice or any anything that she thinks they need to know um, and then the jury will begin their deliberations and so that seems it will go into Easter week. Thank you, Rosanna. Uh, regular listeners to the Hard Yards will be aware that we have deliberately not spent much time on this trial. Frankly, it's because we have not felt that we have had much to offer. We have reached time where the case is approaching a point of conclusion and we must not forget that whatever the verdict might be, several young people have had their lives turned upside down forever. It is a sad, it is a shocking situation. Right, that's all from our show today. Thanks to James, Kev, Pat, Chris and Rosanna for joining me on the show. To Alan Lachnan for producing and Paul Donigan was on sound for us today. We're back again on Monday with another episode. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and all good podcast apps. Get the hard yards straight to your phone. This has been the Hard Yards. This is the 2018 Ireland Grand Slam. I'm Andy McGeady. We'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. To the short side. Oh, it's But I'm a referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. I just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant.